You're listening to In Her Voice, a podcast brought to you by Women in Hollywood. I'm your host, Melissa Silverstein, and this podcast is dedicated to supporting and amplifying the voices of women who work in the global entertainment business. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of In Her Voice. Before we start with the interview with Amy Redford, the director of What Comes Around, I just wanted to talk about the fact that Barbie is going to cross a billion dollars, a billion with a B, probably this weekend. It's broken so many records. It is one of the smartest, feminist, unexpected films I have ever seen. So if you haven't gotten on the Barbie bandwagon, get on that bandwagon. And now here's my interview with Amy Redford, the director of What Comes Around. I just want to give a pause and say, if you haven't seen her movie, The Guitar, please check it out. It's available to rent on Amazon. And here's the interview. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm good. It's great to see you. Congratulations on the movie. I really was engrossed. I'm so glad. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It was very unexpected because it kept changing. Tell us what your logline is of this film because it's very hard to describe. Yes. I mean, I sort of approach that like just throwing a ball up in the air. And, you know, we find Anna on, her, on the eve of her 17th birthday, and she's talking to a guy online who is definitely not 17. And it's clear that that's not a conversation she really wants her mother to listen to, who has raised her as a single mom. And, and we start to follow this relationship between Anna and this guy. And we realize that that relationship is more multifaceted and complicated than we were led to believe. And then hijinks ensue. And hijinks ensue. Um, so the name has changed from yes. Bruce to what comes around. Can you talk a little bit about what the provocation was to change it? Yeah, actually... Third, third time's a charm. Um, so the original title of the play was The Thing with Feathers. And The Thing with Feathers was based on the Emily Dickinson poem. And, and the two of them are talking poetry in the beginning of, of right, 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 right. the uh, movie and in the play. And there was a bunch of things called The Thing with Feathers. <laughs> and so Roost was a little bit of a play on what, you know, The Thing with Feathers went to Comes Home to Roost. And actually it was IFC who, you know, helped us find this title, which I really thought was smart. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy because those things can go kind of squirrely, but the team at IFC jumped in, gave us a really good alternative. I remember when we first met with your, with guitar, which I loved and, and you took some time off after that. And now your kids are big probably. And so- yes. I mean, you made that movie in a time when no women, you know, women couldn't make shit. And now you're at a time where it still sucks, but it's a little bit better. (laughs) You see more women out there. So talk a little bit about your filmmaking experience as a director coming to a project between 2008 and now. Yeah, I mean, it is fascinating, Melissa. It is um, a much better time right now because I think, you know, sort of the the proof is in the pudding. You know, there's a lot of incredible women filmmakers and women identifying filmmakers who are out there telling 
incredible stories. And so it isn't as much of an uphill battle to say, hey, I belong in the director's chair. You know, I do think that we still have places to go. I think there's a lot when it comes to what kind of budgets are being handed to a lot of women directors and what kind of marketing budgets go to female hound. But I think it's a, a better climate all the way around. I think a lot of the progress that we've made in terms of the culture that we create around filmmaking has made it much easier for women to be able to execute without having to fight all of these battles at once. And so do you feel like now that times are different that you want to keep continuing doing more directing? I do. You know, I mean, my oldest is now going to be 15. And my kids are kind of like, okay, mom, all right, move along. Come on, get out of the nest. And, you know? and I, I do really love what I do. And, you know, I've done producing in the interim and, you know, various projects that didn't demand my full-time attention. And now I can bring my kids into the process a little bit more. And I really enjoy that. And I love to hear their feedback. I like their perspective. And I think it's good for me to bring something else to the table and, and sort of inform my home with my work. And so it's been great. I've got some things, you know, hopefully coming down the pike. And, and there's another project that I want to work on with Scott Oregon, who wrote this, that, you know, it was the first movie that we met on um, and it kind of fell apart. And I realized that's because this movie needs to be told now where it's called 11 hours west and when he can get back to writing he's gonna finish that one up that's great I mean you've been an actor you've been a producer you've been a director how does each medium affect you as you know how do acting and producing affect you as a director I think all of the different lenses on the experience you know what it is to be in front of the camera what that feels like what what is the environment that brings out the best in each person you know whether you're in front or behind the camera whether you're there to support when you're there to support a director and you're, you're a producer then you know what that job is and you know how to interact. I mean, Ian Wormfeld, my producer, was an absolutely critical part of this whole process. And sometimes I feel like the role of the creative producer isn't upheld enough. There isn't any movie that gets made without the producer. And, you know, having played that part, it gives me a better understanding and appreciation for how important it is to A, respect it and bring on the best possible people you can. And of course, as an actor, you know, it's like, I understand what it is to have to ingest a character and that the misunderstanding about the disposition of the actor is that somehow they're just all pains in the asses, right? But it is an act of generosity and giving, and it has a cost. And so in the service of that job, I want to create an environment that they they feel like is restorative, you know, mm-hmm. that they do their job without having to sacrifice their soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's super important to me. So mm-hmm. it's just given me a little bit of, you know, the desire to, to do right by each of these different perspectives. Yeah. I, I really haven't heard anyone talk about the toll that it takes to, to give as an actor and the restoration that is needed. It's, it's huge. And, and to be able to go back into your own boots for a minute before you jump into a new character and, you know, to be able to say, you know, you can't 
work just from your damage for the rest of your life. You have to find ways to understand that, you know, and then and and use that to a certain extent. But it doesn't mean that you have to throw yourself on the altar as as a vessel, yeah. you know, as a channeler. And I see so many people that end up really being depleted. Uh, really, we've lost some incredible people. And I, and I see that I understand that. And, you know, whatever I can do to offset that potential for loss and sort of being anemic when you go back out into your life is important to me because yeah. it's, it's a job that I think everybody should figure out sustainability. In. Mm-hmm. And that, that's also emotional sustainability, physical sustainability, mental health, you know, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I want to talk a little bit about Summer Phoenix because she was really good in this movie. She hasn't really had kind of like the lead of a movie in this way. I mean, an incredibly talented family, but she's kind of never gotten to be front and center. How did you come about casting Summer in this film? Oh, I'm so lucky. So she was friends with Bobby Bukowski, my director of photography. And when Bobby read the script, I mean, he was the first person to kind of jump on board and, and you know, lock arms with me as we did on the guitar. And he, when he read the script, he was suggested her. And I met with her and we have, a, we share a lot in our, in our shared experience and in, in the, the path that we walked. And, you know, she has a very rich life and she does a lot of work outside of acting. She's opening a bar in LA that's really exciting. That's a, you know, a, a bar for people that don't drink alcohol, but she was willing to dive into and represent the necessary frailties of that woman. And it was that kind of courage that I was really hoping for and to maintain and hold that truth along with strength, along with being a loving mother. You know, I I needed somebody that was capable of holding multiple truths at once. And she's definitely that person. Mm -hmm. The character towards the end of the movie, you're like, oh, this is not going well for her. And, you know, could devolve into real kind of like icky ickiness and but you still manage to have empathy for her even though their you know transgressions are bad that's a really fine line how long did it take you to get to that place where you were able to create some empathy for something that might not deserve it i often say when i'm perfect i'll hold you to that standard until yeah. then, let's just slog it through. You know, yeah. I've done things in my life that I'm not incredibly proud of. I think many of us have. This is an accelerated version of that. This is on volume 11, and we're dealing with the power dynamic that is really important to understand. But I think in the ways in which she felt like she had to protect her child, ended up creating other downstream damage. Mm-hmm. And many of us that have experienced any kind of trauma hoped that the person that may have been the perpetuator of that at any point could own the truth of what that is. And so in our conversations around the downstream of gaslighting, that's that's really what we needed to get into. And a lot of the filmmaking was just push-pull. Little, you know, is that too much? Oh, it's too much. Let's pull back. Let's go here. Let's go there, you know, so that you could stay present with it and not excuse yourself from the reality of all of these characters. I think 
many of these characters in, exist in all of us. Yeah. What do you want people to think about when they watch the movie and finish the movie? I, I do think that a lot of it is about the downstream of gaslighting and that you might have, see somebody's behavior and immediately be able to sort of demonize them uh, without understanding what has been done to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that for the conversations we seem to be having around slut shaming, around things like toxic masculinity, around this moment that we're living in, that a little bit of nuance and compassion goes a, a long way, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so my hope is that it stimulates conversation. My hope is that if you feel like you've lost your tether to your child and they seem to be getting absorbed in the virtual world that you don't have purchase on, Maybe it's time to take them out and have a conversation, yeah. you know, and not and not demonizing them for using the thing that we handed them. You know, I I was illiterate when it came to a lot of these things. I'm a bit of a luddite, and so I realized how dangerous that is. That I really don't speak the language, and yet I'm, my kids are off speaking it all day long. Right. So you know, being able to like question, maybe go back into one's own reality and, and ask some of these questions is, is sort of what I hope. I think that's, that's kind of what storytelling is about. Yeah. So you've, you've moved your base of operations. You were in LA, right? And now you're in. I was in LA and I moved my base of operations to Salt Lake City, Utah. Right. And so. I love it. It's a great community. Yeah. And I saw that Gerilyn is one of the producers. I've known her for many years. Yes. So I know there's like a whole kind of film culture in Utah. What does that do for you not to be kind of like in the LA scene for your creativity? Because I know a lot of people have have moved places. I am one of those. Absolutely. I I love, there's a tension that exists in the city that I live, right? You know, Salt Lake City is a blue city and a red state. And there's a lot of interesting things that have been passed in the state. There's an organization called Equality Utah, who's managed to put over the line things like hate crime bills and, you know, anti-conversion therapy bills that other states can't quite do. And so there's a there's a necessary kind of discourse that has to happen on each side of the aisle that gives me a little more access to a broader range of experience. And I really am energized by that. And I I really like the fact that there is a scrappiness to the film community. There is a get it done to the film community. There's incredible filmmakers that are doing stuff. Geraldine Dreyfus, of course, is is such an inspiration to so many of us. And without the Utah Film Center, you know, it would have been very difficult to make this film on the timeline and the budget that we had. And the the crews are pretty unflappable. You know, they they just sort of jump in and are unfussy. Mm-hmm. Um, the place that we shot, which is Park City, the community there was so generous. I was nervous about shooting there because it does seem to be somewhat of a rarefied experience. Um, from the outside. Um, and yet when you dive into that community, you realize how multifaceted it really is. It's um, a you know great benefit. So yeah, I love I love living there. I love it for my kids. And you know, I think the virtual ability to get work done has, you know, made it possible. So I'm grateful yeah. for that. So last question, you know, there's all these strikes going on now and seems like things are at a bit of a standstill yet people still want to forge ahead with their work 
particularly if it's not associated with any of the struck companies. Do you have any advice for people not necessarily related to the strike, but just about like, you know, keeping your creativity going in the lean times and, and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, we, we've had a little bit of a dry run at this before, right? I mean, I think a lot of us creatives who were trying to figure out how to keep nourished during COVID found ways to express that and to keep, you know, they can't, you can't turn your brain off, right? It's a great time to, you know, infuse your perspective with different stories, different content, different places, you know, it's a great time to do the thing that you didn't allow yourself to do in the past. I know that it's a really difficult time for a lot of people that are affected by all of this. I have great faith that, you know, there will be a sustainable resolution, but I think being able to say, okay, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and expose myself to this landscape, this story, this, you know, this documentary, this play, this, you know, whatever it might be, you know, is, is a great way to, to nourish and then come back to the table, even a little bit more rich. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much for your time. I'm speaking with Amy Redford. She's the director of the new film called What Comes Around that's opening on August 4. Best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to share with a friend or better yet, follow us on Spotify and give us five stars or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Spreading the word really helps us reach as many people as possible. You can also subscribe to the Substack for the Women in Hollywood weekly newsletter of all content buying about women that is opening and streaming. You can sign up directly at womenandhollywood.com. In Her Voice is produced by Leonie Marsh. This is a Women in Hollywood Productions podcast. I'm Melissa Silverstein. Until next time, goodbye.